0: Ah, forgot to tell you guys, you can't see this, but wait, I put blueberries in it.
1: This band could be your
0: food. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. This band could be your food. I am your host, Nathan Palin. Before we officially start, let me just say thanks to you for listening to the show. Make sure you're telling your friends about this show. Word of mouth, that's what we're doing here. We got a fun show for you, especially if you're a fan of the band, because today we're talking about the band, Canada's most American-sounding band. There's one guy from Arkansas, but all of their roots are all tied to America. And when I say America, I mean United States. I don't know. Where do you stand with that? Are you comfortable calling the United States America? I'm not quite, but I digress. That's not what we're going to be talking about today directly. We'll talk about it indirectly by talking about the band. Five fellers with quite a story. I brought back my friend Nate Hall. This is actually the first interview that him and I did. We recorded this episode before we knew that Dusty Hill from ZZ Top had passed away. So we actually did that ZZ Top episode a little earlier to pay homage to the great Dusty Hill. And So now we're going back to check out this episode about the band. And I'm glad that we did. I'm glad that we talked about the band because I, for a moment in time in my life was really intrigued by the band's history. And I had read Across the Great Divide, which was an official biography about the band. I had read This Wheel's on Fire by Levon Helm. The drummer, who is the king of grudge holding, has been upset with Robbie Robertson from since the day he saw the back cover credits for the band's second self-titled record to the day he died. What a grudger. Now, this was a good opportunity for me to think a little bit on a larger scope, a larger scale of who's right, and kind of see it through Robbie Robertson's eyes a little bit more than I have in the past. So, let's dive into it and give it a really objective go at dissecting Canada's greatest rock feud between Robbie Robertson and Lee Von Helm. And when we recorded this, we'd hung out the day before. So, so here's an episode of us with a bloody mary in one hand and a cup of coffee in the other hand. And please enjoy my episode with Nate Hall as we discuss the band. So cheers. We're um
1: what are we gonna cheers here? First one, we'll drink our coffee. Gotta start with the, the caffeine. Start with the
0: caffeine. Cheers. Yeah. All right. We're having caffeine. Only get up in the morning to talk about the band. That's right. And uh, we um oh. this this is day two for us, actually. We uh we got together last night to enjoy each other's company mm-hmm. with uh with something that I thought initially would be the band's food pot roast. It was delicious. It was. I mean, it wasn't technically a pot roast. I feel like a pot roast is supposed to be cow, but this was this was a lamb variety. Um, but yeah, it was really good. It was I, bursting with flavor. D- definitely. You did a great job. Thank you. I, I, that's one of my favorite things to eat, particularly because you have to drink red wine with it, and red wine is one of my favorite things to drink. <laughs> so you put those things together, everything's great. <laughs> oh, Ooh. it all comes together. It's a vehicle for red wine drinking. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh but today we're talking about the band. The band. I called you in because you and I we like to talk about the band. Yes, a lot. And um you know, we are constantly trying to debate the topic and it's it's really not much of a debate for us. There's a clear winner and it's between Robbie Robertson and Levon Helm. Mhm. Yeah. And the we both got done watching the new Robbie Robertson documentary and is very
1: heavy-handed it's man it's uh, yeah it sways makes robbie look much better than he should ever look i think
0: absolutely now we'll start at the beginning in case you don't know the band i'm, I'm sure if you're listening to this you know the band the band there they're five members uh and it's robbie robertson who is technically the band leader debatable <laughs> but he did write the majority of the songs wrote the songs if you ask him he wrote all the songs um, and then we've got Garth Hudson. With no influence from any other band. No. Member. Well, we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, with Garth Hudson on the organ, who was the, uh, the older, I don't know if he was older, but he was the smartest musician of the group.
1: He was a college graduate. Um, yes. He was going to go to school to be a music teacher, and he, just, he also played piano, saxophone, and pretty much anything you put in front of him.
0: Yeah. And I don't want—I don't know why I brought him up next, because he was actually the last member to join. Mm-hmm. To get him to join the band, the members of the band, talk to his parents and say that they would pay him more to give the other members of the band music lessons, mm-hmm. which is pretty funny.
1: And they also had to give him an organ. Had to give him an organ. Yes. <laughs> him an organ. He's a shrewd businessman. Yeah. I'm surprised uh, Robbie took uh, advantage of that guy. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get I'm, into I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. I know.
0: Okay, then we've got uh, Richard Manuel, who was on piano, and according to the members of the band, technically the lead singer. Now, the lead singing duties were shared amongst three members, and it was Richard Manuel, uh, Levon Helm, who is the drummer, and um, the I would say the other leader, maybe the official leader. Played mandolin also. Yes, and then uh, Rick Danko on mm-hmm. bass. Also played, also sang. So that's why it's interesting that Robbie Robertson is technically the songwriter because, you know, he was maybe the fourth best singer in the group. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't think Garth sang at all. Garth, yeah. Usually when he talks, he's he's a very interesting sounding guy.
1: Yeah, he barely talked at all. I yeah. went,
0: I went and watched their induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and he goes on for about twenty five minutes, just oh. like a long list of names. I want to thank really Cindy, and I don't want to thank. <laughs> it goes on forever, but it's just like, it's the first time anybody's ever heard him say a word. Yeah. It's just like, and This wow.
1: keeps on going, my yeah. dog.
0: Yeah. i like to thank my cat. Yeah, and within eight and a half minutes, every, the entire place was asleep. <laughs> but really great organ player. Fantastic musician. Yes, indeed. You had a philosophy. You're like, well, there's five members, so there should be like five ingredients in the food.
1: And I also was thinking about it this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably a little too much for the podcast, but I was also thinking of the band as a meal in itself. Like each individual member was a food itself, which might be a little bit too much. I think that's too much. Yes. Sorry. I,
0: I actually had a, a listener that uh, when I was talking about the Ramones podcast said that he thought that the Ramones should be like a hot lunch at school. <laughs> that is kind of great. Yeah. <laughs> kind, yeah. And like including Joy and is like the tall drink of milk. Yeah. And then, you know, the, I don't know, one of them is just like your canned peas. Yeah. <laughs> Something like
1: that. DD would be that weird carrot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But that's not that simple because if we if, if we go that way, then you got to take like Paul McCartney and say, "Okay, Paul McCartney is an ingredient." And so yeah, therefore that's the true. beetle, the Beatles ha- and the, the and wings and like everything he does has to have like this ingredient. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. I, I just don't think that. that
1: that's, that's true. Yeah. Now, was what fair. I was saying. Yeah, is if the band would be five elements that would have to come together that make would make this meal because they're all integral. And if you take one away, and then you have this meal that's not as good as it usually is.
0: But sure, like the band version two.
1: Yeah, the Van version two. Yeah,
0: the band after the band broke up. The band did get back together without Robbie Robertson, which is another annoying thing about the documentary is Robbie Robertson after the band breaks up, he makes it all sound like, Oh, I just kept waiting for the band to get back together. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you idiot, they did. They did get back together.
1: He just yeah, he has whitewashed it all
0: out. And it's like, uh, oh,
1: everybody I mean, want
0: to be home with their kids. Is it possible they didn't invite him along? I don't think that was the case. From what that says in the Levon Helm book, mm-hmm. Levon Helm has an autobiography called This Wheels on Fire. Um, It's a fun read. You know, Levon's quite a character. To me, what's really important about the band is that we've got an American-sounding band with one American in it and four Canadians. So to me, this is, like, deceivingly an American dish. So, I mean, when you think about your typical American dishes... And uh, I was just thinking about the Pink House, which is where they... Recorded their first record, and that's where they really kind of cemented their new sound and their new direction. I could just see these guys, like, eating this dish. Eating this dish? Eating, eating yeah, eating this dish together, you know, in the morning before they they go on their way. Well, and, I, th-
1: I think probably maybe in the afternoon or late morning. Yeah, that's probably not I don't, I don't think these guys were getting
0: up early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, they are <were> probably having <laughs> breakfast about 4 p.m. Yes. Yes. So I thought that this should be a pancake. Like a pancake. A, a flapjack. Pancake, particularly a flapjack, but particularly covered in Canadian maple syrup. Mm. Because you've got a really basic food, you know, your Americana food, and then uh, all the flavor comes from all the Canada parts. So that was my deal. That sounds good. Yeah. Is,
1: um, this is a question you might not be answering, but is there a difference between a pancake and a flapjack?
0: I think it's just like in size A pancake size. can be smaller A flapjack is, is traditionally the, the size of the pan Okay, yeah. got it and the, and the flapjack is supposed to be flipped in the air And I'm not, I'm not going to do that but I think I'm just going to make pancakes <laughs> So anyways the, the band is Pancakes with Canadian Maple Syrup Here we go Wasn't planning to stay But now I don't want to go Cause wait. Night, nothing's gonna take that away from me. So I don't know if we mentioned, um, this is the first time we've ever done a podcast with coffee and a Bloody Mary. Because as we said, it's the next day. And that seems like appropriate for what the band would be doing back in the, the day. Mm-hmm. And what
1: did, what did you call it? The, the teeter-totter? Of- oh,
0: yes. The, it's, I call it a liquid teeter-totter.
1: The liquid teeter-totter. Yeah, it's ups and downs. The caffeine and the, the alcohol. In- it's, a, it's a good combination. Keeps
0: you, keeps you level. It does. It does. So, but I like it. It's a it's a nice ride for the morning and a good way to start a good band conversation. All right. So you know, like the band started, the band started a long time ago. Initially with a band called Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks. They had set their sights on moving to Canada because they saw everything happening in Canada, and he thought he could make a lot of money. Because he was happening like around the same time, like Elvis was happening, like a lot. Of, like I know that uh, Roy Orbison had just put out like "Ooby Dooby." For some reason, they they brought that up, and that was the song that he would also cover. Mm-hmm. Do you know, "Ooby Dooby." I know "Ooby Dooby." "Ooby, yes. Dooby. <laughs> Ooby Dooby." I, I actually Not heard personally, Ooby... but I know him. Yes. yes, but it it was actually I knew the, knew the song because it was covered by CCR, but it's originally a Roy Orbison song. But I don't know. He would sing that, and he would do the duck walk, which essentially the same thing that Chuck Berry did, the duck walk, when you mm-hmm. think about him playing his guitar. Anyways, a young Lee Von Helm was very impressionable about how fantastic this guy was.
1: And this all started in Arkansas.
0: It all started in Arkansas, that's right. Um, they needed a band. Ronnie was trying to start a band, and actually before, he had an all-black band, and it was called the Blackhawks. Oh, really? I that's right, that. yeah, yeah. It was called the Blackhawks, and then uh, in Arkansas, it seemed like that wasn't going to fly. That's not right. controversial at all. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Arkansas at that time was having none of that. So he's like, "Well, I got to," you know, he's doing R&B. He's got to put together a white band. He's a he's a businessman. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, he's got to work. So he put together some of the best players around the area, and they needed a drummer. They couldn't find a drummer, and apparently there was this one fella, Levon Helm, who wasn't really a
1: drummer at the time. Nope, he was a uh, out of high school, and uh, he was a, a ham
0: boner <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he liked to did yeah. And bone. Yeah. And he'd, he'd put together like musicals to like make money for the school so that they could go on field trips and stuff like that. You know, just an all around, generally good guy. Mm-hmm. But like one night he sat in with some band and played drums and made an impression on the music scene of Arkansas at that time. So they said, okay, let's get this guy. So they go over to Levon Helms' house and they, he's like, Mrs. Mrs. Helms, we want to recruit your son to play in our, in our group and we're going to all go move up, move up to Canada. Because that's where we can make tons of money. Mm-hmm. And she said, Well, he can join your band, but he's not leaving until he graduates high school. So they have to stick around Arkansas and that's a good for him because it gives him an opportunity to learn how to play the drums properly. <laughs> Very important
1: <laughs> yeah. for a drummer.
0: Not to mention the fact that he did not have a drum set. Oh, he didn't. Play- no, when they when they because asked him, his leg you- in two hands. Yeah, when he said you want to join the group, he's like, Yeah, absolutely. And he's like, want anyone have a drum set? <laughs> and I think back then, if you owned a drum set, you would find yourself in a band. So there was a lot of bad drummers back in those days. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, it's hard to tra- back in those days. It was hard to travel with a drum set. For sure. You had to like tie it to the top of your Studebaker.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So then you've got uh, von Helm. They graduate high school. They head up to Canada. Untapped market. Exactly. They were American rock and roll invading what Montreal, um, Toronto.
1: Just the general area, yeah. Toronto. Yeah, they Montreal, were, Yeah, they were just going around doing uh, the circuit eastern canada yeah
0: okay yeah all right officially ronnie hawkins moved to peterborough peterborough ontario which is right in between toronto and kingston not too far away from ottawa and then a little further on you got montreal and also not too far away from new york state so that's a hopping area of canada i reckon and as long as i'm breaking I might as well mention that the whole reason he went to Canada is because Conway Twitty told him to. Conway Twitty was having a great time in Canada and spread the word to Ronnie. And then Ronnie had a good run of finding great musicians. Sure, he put together the members of the band, but also was responsible for finding the musicians that went on to do Robbie Lane and the Disciples, Janis Joplin's Full Tilt Boogie Band, Crowbar, Barefoot, Skylark. Well, those last three sound like Canada bands, don't they? Barefoot Skylark bah. back to the show and uh, along comes this strapping young fella named Robbie Robertson and he uh, just started showing up to the gigs and like bringing him coffee and like winding up cords and doing whatever he could to sort of get their attention 15 16 years old yeah young young little guy yes yes um, half native American that's gonna come into the, the food later so anyways he uh, he's hanging out. And um, trying to talk them into letting him be in the group, and they're saying, well, you're too young, young man. But he said, hey, check out these songs I wrote. And he, write, he writes a couple songs, and at that point, you know, the Hawks were just a cover band, and they wanted to release some material. So Robbie gives them the songs, and they say, hey, that's great. They record the songs, and they put it out without Robbie playing on them. Still too young. Yes. Still too young, yeah. But sooner or later, the bass player doesn't show up for a gig. And so they had him, and he said, can you play bass? And he said, sure but he couldn't. But sooner or later, he finally made his way into being a, a guitar player in the group and also recruiting basically everybody else that, that followed. Mm-hmm. All the rest of the members. Uh, I don't remember what the order was. Um, yeah, I think it was, I think, I
1: think maybe Richard and Rick Danko were both in the same band. Uh, Ronnie Hawkins was always on the lookout for the best musicians so he could cherry pick them and put them in his band. Yeah. And I, I believe those two were in the same band and he took them. And convince them to join the Hawks.
0: You got to give so much credit to Ronnie Hawkins. Like he put that band together. Mm-hmm. You know exactly. Yeah, and then um, <laughs> I, I. So then, at a certain point, they're all supposed to uh, become union members. Like they're supposed to join the the. They're supposed to join the. the the Musicians' Union. Mm-hmm. And so they all drive down to the Musicians' Union, and then everybody gets out in the car, and then Ronnie hangs back. And he's like, how come you're not going? He's like, I'm not a musician. I, just, I, I don't know how to play any instruments. <laughs> so so then at that point, the other members of the uh, band, they file you know, their papers to be in the union. And because of that, Von Helm has to become the de facto band leader. Just legally speaking, he's the one that's starting to take care of all of their their finances and like booking their gigs.
1: I think he was the oldest one of the of of the,
0: of the group. Well, next to Ronnie.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you still have to recruit Garth.
0: I don't remember where they found him.
1: Probably another concert. Probably somebody opening up for them. Maybe they walked into a bar. I'm I'm not quite sure where they got Garth, but I know that in order to convince him to be part of the band. He required that they, yeah, they pay him, each member pay him $10 so he could give them music lessons because he wanted to be a music teacher and they have had to give him an organ.
0: Okay, check this out. In 1958, Garth Hudson had joined a rock and roll band called the Capers, but he also gained some performance experience from playing in his uncle's funeral parlor. That's pretty sweet. Oh yeah, and speaking of that organ that the band had to buy him, here's the fact: it actually wasn't a Hammond organ; it was a Lowry. Garth Hudson has been a long-time hater of the Hammond organ, preferring the Lowry. And with that information and two dollars, you can buy yourself a cup of coffee. Yeah, Back to the show. Sure. Cool. Yeah. And where would he, where would he be otherwise? Probably a music teacher. Yeah, music teacher Probably in Toronto. Still. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God he took that leap of faith because um, his organ playing in that band was. Such a signature part of their sound. And like that's that's what you were saying before. And I totally get it. Every member of that group brings such a unique flavor to the band. And like without that, who knows what it's gonna sound like? Yeah. Garth Hudson's organ just kind of soars over top of everything else that's going on. You got Rick Danko playing bass, and his bass is pretty unconventional. Um, I think that it's sort of in tune a little bit with like what the Grateful Dead does. Their bass player just kind of noodles around, plays melodic stuff. It's not the traditional way of playing the bass. It's like a low end guitar almost. Yeah, yeah. Between Richard Manuel, the piano player, and Levon Helm, the drummer, they're the ones that are really laying the foundation down. Mm-hmm. Like Levon's drums is, are just super on time and reliable. They don't they don't go crazy. But the fun thing is that sometimes Richard will play drums. And then Levon, the drummer, will switch to mandolin or something like that. So that was another fun thing about that band is they, you know, they would switch around. And you know, when Richard would get behind it, it it would still sound like the band, but much looser. Mm-hmm. But still, somehow, because I think the two of them had that synergy playing with each other, you know, they were able to keep the feel of the group kind of intact. So they would always sound like a band, no matter who was playing drums, if it was one or the other. Um, I don't know if anybody else ever played drums well, in that group.
1: They did when uh, Levon left. They had two different drummers. When Levon left? Yeah. Um, during the Bob Dylan days. Oh, when that's first right. Dropped, um, joined Bob Dylan. Yes. Ah. They were playing Robbie Ronnie Hawkins. Um, they were getting tired of the rockabilly. It was, it was getting too easy for them. They're young men. They want to branch out. They want to be independent. So they split ways with Ronnie Hawkins, and um, then they became. Uh,
0: Levon and the Hawks. Levon and, and the Hawks. Yeah.
1: Um, they also dabbled with other names like the Canadian Squires and mm. other names that just didn't work. But they they always came back to Levon and the Hawks. Yeah. Bob Dylan's uh, manager, Albert Grossman, mm-hmm. he had a secretary who was friends with the band. She convinced Bob Dylan to come down and see the band. She's like, you have to see this band. Yeah. So it was his secretary that convinced Bob to come down to see the band, and he saw the band, and he thought they were fantastic.
0: Yeah, which they were, obviously.
1: Yes, they were very yeah. musical, Height, and they knew what they were doing and bob could see that in them and yeah. so he had uh,
0: And at that point bob was just when he came to his live shows was just doing like him and an acoustic guitar exactly and he was still was, in his folk phase yeah but i feel like his recordings were having a live band on them
1: um yes but he wasn't doing his live shows uh this yeah. was before blonde on blonde
0: but i feel like like a rolling stone was like cut as a recording before he was playing with the band. Mm -hmm. All right, so what's going on here is it's 1965. I'm not quite sure when Bob Dylan released the single Like a Rolling Stone. It's in between the albums Highway 61 and Blonde on Blonde, which is precisely the same time that Dylan goes on the road with a rock band, and he chooses the band to be his rock band. Dylan was going through what they called his rock phase after being just a Folky, guitar playing, singer, songwriter, dude. And so now he was ready to bring this sound to his live audiences, whether they liked it or not. So carry on. Everybody was so upset.
1: Yeah, they got booed like every show.
0: Every single show. Yeah. But Bob, you know, for him, he was like, This is great. Yeah. For some reason, just loved it. He's he, like, I can he's like, I am a visionary. They don't see what I'm doing. But the band, they're like, What the heck? Why do we keep doing this? <laughs> and they,
1: and they had no idea how popular Bob was. Especially since it was uh, also international when they went overseas.
0: Oh, it was the and same they overseas still too? Still got booed. Jeez. Horribly. Yeah. And it didn't take too long for Levon Hum to be like, you know, what, maybe music isn't my thing. Um, yeah. After a month,
1: Levon was like, um, I'm not in this to be booed. Yeah. I'm. I'm here to be loved. Yeah. And nobody's loving us at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, he went to New Orleans. New Orleans. To work on an oil rig. <laughs> of course he didn't. What else would he do? Yeah. And then uh, they came back, and then Bob had his uh, motorcycle
0: accident. The famous motorcycle accident. We well, kind of returned from, and like his voice was different.
1: Yeah, he was trying different singing styles. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, and then the band was just on their own yeah. trying to figure out what they were doing.
0: So then they moved to Woodstock as well. No kidding? Yep, right?
1: eventually they were trying to figure out where to go, and then um, Bob invited them up to Woodstock. All right. Up into Saugerties, like West Saugerties. Garth, Richard, and Rick all found the pink house, the big pink. The big pink, yep. And they, those three guys moved into it. Robbie was living in his own place with his um, then wife and I think child.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
1: um, the remaining members of the bands were just, we, they set up a studio in the basement and they started recording. And then Bob came over and says, Hey, what are you guys doing? And they go, We set up the studio down here. He goes, You can record down here? And they go, Yeah, we can record down here. <laughs> like, well, I got some songs I've been working on. Yeah. So for months after that, Bob comes over every single day and this, they just throw some one-offs. And Bob's idea is he's going to record these songs as demos, not record himself, and just give them to other musicians to make to play so oh. he can make money off them. And okay. he doesn't have to perform them himself and he can stay out of the limelight. And right. so that whole collection during that time, and I believe um, Richard Manuel is playing the drums the whole, most of the time on the basement tapes
0: oh wow so this is this is before levon came back
1: before levon came back wow and um so they recorded the basement tapes or all the music that is the basement tapes and um uh, eventually they were like we we got to find levon we need that the, there's something missing and um we need to find levon and eventually they found a in new orleans on an oil rig and said hey we got this going on we got some magic going on bob's recording we're doing our own music we got our own songs why don't you come on down yeah and uh yeah, being on an oil rig for <laughs> months, he was probably very hungry. Yeah. And so he hustled up the
0: Socrates, And then there you go. Then their new career begins there. They start recording music at the Big Pink, and this uh, they sign a contract with Capitol Records as the Crackers because they still just didn't have a name yet.
1: Yep, they also dabbled with the Honkies. The
0: Honkies, yes. Levon finds this whole thing so hilarious because he just knows the labels are just going crazy, just being like, are they really going to call themselves the Crackers? But, you know, they're, they're, the Arkansas boy just gets the biggest old kick out of it. Yeah. And they released, they released the first album, and I think he, he says like they don't even list the band on it. They just call it Music from the Big Pink, and there's, mm-hmm. no, there's no band name listed.
1: Yeah, there's no band name. Uh, Rolling Stone, I think, called them the band from Big Pink. Yeah. That's how they labeled the, yeah. them.
0: Yeah. As a cohesive unit. Yeah. The people just started call, calling them the band. Yeah. They didn't mm-hmm. even decide. They were just like, you know, the band. Mm-hmm. So the second re- record comes out, self-titled The Band. Such a great name. Such a great name.
1: Very humble, very, there's no question what it is. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. It's hard to imagine any other band being the band. Yep. A band of brothers. A band of brothers. So, and I'm sure nobody takes this more to heart than Levon Helm. Meanwhile, you've got the songwriter, Robbie Robertson, who's, um, you know, writing the songs. And there becomes, eventually, further down the road, a huge divide, a lifelong hatred between Levon Helm and Robbie Robertson. Because what happens, and we've talked about this before, the songwriter typically gets more money than everybody else. Not typically, like all the time. If they have a hit, they're going to receive monumental amounts of money that will eclipse every other member of the group. And so often this becomes like a dividing part in the band. And um, yeah, Levon Helm just can't seem to get over it. He's really, really upset. And he thinks that he wrote some of the songs, but the way that a song is written is somebody writes the chords and the lyrics, and then they bring it to whoever group is going to be playing it, and then that group will come up with the arrangement. And I think that's what happened. Now, this arrangement can sound completely different than you know, what the songwriter intended, but still, at the end of the day, the songwriter is going to get the songwriting credit. And because he's getting the songwriting credit, when people buy that record, he's going to get 50% of the money that is made from the sale of that song. It's it split between the songwriter and the producer. So songwriters are always making more. Um, now, Lee Von Helm, he will say that he wrote some of these songs. Like, listen to The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. It's a song about America. And Levon was like, if you're going to write these lyrics, then we've got to go. Like, he would take him to the library and like read about the history that was going on so that Robbie could write the words that were, you know, appropriate and correct and, you know, factual. Um, <laughs> I think Levon's like, well, I, I drove him to the library. So I, I write that song.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think Levon was also slighted because uh, I think um, he felt that Robbie was also taking his life. And putting him in these songs, like he was oh. the inspiration or that he was influencing Robbie so much as like,
0: yeah,
1: um, telling him about like, yeah, Robert E. Lee and giving this Robert, this Robbie, this information. Yeah. So he felt that, yeah, by giving him this information or just being present around Robbie and Robbie just taking bits of his life or his Southern influence. Yes. That he was owed.
0: Yes. Yeah. So he sort of feels like he was robbed by his own group from you Know his Levon Helmness, yeah, his southernness.
1: Yeah, everybody says, uh, um, Richard Manuel is this that's uh, the most sensitive one, but I think Levon was the sensitive one. Oh, for sure, but he just couldn't, but he was sensitive through anger, yes, and stubbornness, it,
0: exactly. So, when the band was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, all the members showed up except for Richard, who had passed away, um, and Levon, Levon didn't show up out of spite. That and man I think could hold a grudge. That man held a grudge till the day he died. Mm-hmm. And it's that sucks. <laughs> they are my go-to Sunday morning record. Like mm-hmm. yes. great in the morning, yeah. Absolutely. Which ties it to the food. Yes. So, I am going to be preparing. I haven't made them yet. I've got I've got the ingredients. We're making flapjacks, but I thought because our leader, Robbie Robertson has that tied to the Native American heritage. His mom is, is Native American. Is it his mom or his father? His mom. His mom. His dad... His dad was a Jewish gangster. That's right, his Jewish gangster, dad. which makes so much sense why Robbie is the uh, conniving carny mm-hmm. that he is. Yes. Arr. Anyways, so we gave props to him, and I decided to put cornmeal in it as well. And technically, when you put cornmeal in it, it's called a, it's called a Johnny Cake. A Johnny Cake. So, yeah. Nice. So maybe... If, if this thing goes well, we'll call this like the band Johnny Cakes with, with Canadian maple syrup. Mm. Let's eat. Yeah, let's do it. Kay. Okay. Okay. This is the part where we turn the microphones on and eat food. <laughs> do does any of you suffer from what's it called? Misophonia. Misophonia, which is not a Two Live Crew song. No. It is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is when you do not like the sound of of people eating or of food, like certain sounds. Yeah. Nails on a chalkboard.
1: Yeah, people eating, people taking a sip of water, maybe just breathing too heavily.
0: Yes. Those kind of things. This this would not be the podcast for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I have made Johnny Cakes, smothered in maple syrup, and they're piping hot. And delicious. What do you think? I think they're great. Yeah?
1: Yeah. The adding of the blueberries also, Yeah, spot on. Ah,
0: forgot to tell you guys, you can't see this, but we, I put blueberries in it. So let me tell you the recipe while my friend Nate is eating. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, um, it is one cup of regular flour, one cup of cornmeal. Um, I saw a recipe, it said that you want more of a ground cornmeal, but this is a stone ground, so it's not too fine, so it's a little bit chunky. But I always like that anyways, because I, I just like the cornmeal texture. So we got we got that, and then we mix it in with a tablespoon, which I was surprised there was that much, a tablespoon of baking baking. Powder. Not soda, powder. Not not, yeah. not arm and hammer. the other one. Tablespoon of that. Three tablespoons of sugar. a half teaspoon of salt, and you mix that all together in one bowl, a separate bowl. Then you get three eggs, and you uh, I like to use my kitchen aid because it's very easy. Get there. I like to get my eggs when I'm making either waffles or pancakes. I like to get the eggs nice and frothy. Like give it some volume because I think that that's going to translate whether that's true or not. It feels like it's going to translate into a lighter, fluffier product. So get those all, all fluffy. Then you put in a cup of milk. I actually put a cup and a half of milk. I did a cup of milk. I did a half cup of almond milk, which isn't really milk, but it's the color of milk and it's fine by me. Um, and then a big dab of vanilla. Always a big fan of putting vanilla in the pancakes I like the sound effect. That was nice. Yeah? <laughs> um, So then as the liquid ingredients are swooshing around, I pour in the bowl of the dry ingredients until they are freshly softened. And they say, like, don't mix it too much. So, you know, I just put it on low. As soon as it's a stable consistency, then you fold in some blueberries. I put in a ton of blueberries. Uh, I like a pint plus
1: like another pint. How long did you mix it before you put the blueberries in?
0: Um, uh, I mixed the eggs for a long time, but I—I I mean, I think I might have mixed it for thirty seconds tops, like just enough so everything is wet, so you're not going to have like chunks of, of flour, which is a bummer. And then uh, that's it. Then I smothered it in Canadian maple syrup. Now I thought it would be difficult to find Canadian maple syrup, but um, when you're looking for regular maple syrup at like your Trader Joe's. The ones that don't say, this is from Vermont. This is from New England. If it doesn't say that, it's from Canada. And it'll say it on the back. You can look on the back. Where's your, where's your stuff from? And, and I don't know if it's going to really make a difference, to tell you the truth, if it's from Canada. Is a Canadian maple syrup tree, is it going to taste different, do you think? <laughs> um, do, do you, are you noticing a subtle?
1: I think, well, I think it has to do with temperature of where the trees are. But um, sort of changes the the science of the the sugars in the maple and how they come out of the tree. So I think that's why um, uh, Canadian maple syrup is so renowned. Wow.
0: Um, I made sure to cook these so they were a touch crispy. And um,
1: they're really good. The touch crispiness is nice.
0: Yeah. So when you cook these, you get yourself a nice hot pan. And, um, you know, pour them in. And then you need to wait. I wait until I see some browned around the perimeter of the pancake before you flip it, and then flip it. And I've said this before. I'm a big fan of you flip it one time, and that's it. My burgers, my pancakes, flip it once. I feel like if you keep flipping it, you're just going to overcook it, and it's going to be gross. I guess you can do whatever you want. I don't care. (laughs) My my pancakes, they get one flip, and that's all they need.
1: You wait um, for the outside, the brown, and then you flip it. Yeah, you don't like not bubbling or anything. You want it bubbling and browning,
0: or I didn't. See, well, these these cakes didn't have any bubbling happening. Mm-hmm. M- maybe maybe if you've got a very very hot pan, you'll see some bubbling. Um, but but you're gonna know, you know the 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 brown perimeter is really gonna be the the tell that it's it's ready to flip and and go, and then you flip it on the other side. And I feel like the second side cooks in less time, maybe half the time than the first side does. And just lift it up and take a look at it, like flip up a side. Um, Now, one of the things that happens when you're putting in the corn, when you're putting the cornmeal in it, it makes it less less congealed. It becomes more, you know, like along the lines of like a cornbread, the Johnny cake. So they're a little more delicate. So you just have to be careful that they don't break when you're flipping them. Um, But... Because of that, I really just love the texture of eating these. Like, they they break up nicely. They don't feel like a big gummy,
1: you know. Yeah, it's not a big. It's not this. It's not a big doughy pancake that's going to make you feel bad at the end.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's got a good texture to it, and yeah. um, the the brownness also is this key on the outside. It gives a nice yeah, yeah. nice texture and a good flavoring also.
0: Yeah. And so another association with like with this and the band. Now I love the band, but I don't love too much band. You know what? When, I, when I, only, I I can put on one record, and like it gives me that bandness, and practically any record just like has that that thing. Like for me, the the self titled band band second record is my go to. Oh, it's a perfect album, I think. It is. Yes, I personally, I know this is unpopular. I don't. I don't really care about songs from the Big Pink at all. Really? Other, well, I mean,
1: there's some good, really good ones. You can't like the weight. You can't. Of you can't dismiss that song. No, at all.
0: absolutely not. But. You know, like a top-to-bottom record, I more prefer the outtakes. Like, there's one that Richard Manuel sings that's kind of like an upbeat number. I can't remember what it's called.
1: Key the Highway, Lonesome Susie,
0: Long Distance load Lonesome Operator. Susie. Lonesome Susie. Lonesome Susie is a great track. I don't understand why that's not on the record. I feel like it, because they didn't play it in halftime. The band loves to play everything in halftime. Like, the beat should be here, and they just, like, half it.
1: Um, Probably because... Uh, Robbie didn't write it. Really? Richard wrote it.
0: <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah,
1: Richard wrote The Lonesome Susie. He's listed as composer. Oh, wow. On, on this uh,
0: music app. Yep. Yeah. Like, what was going on there? Like, would, how big of a hand did Robbie have at the time? Maybe not at the time. I don't know. It seems like he was dealing with a bunch of drunks. He was the one guy who was not on the drugs, um, and there is there is um some stories from Todd Rundgren, who was the engineer for their third record, Stage Fright, who said that they he basically needed to be brought in to sort of wrangle everybody. Like they would record and then, you know, members of the band would just sort of wander off, and then like they would find Levon underneath like a, a you know a pile of dirty laundry, and it was just like it was chaos. You know, he was really getting into heroin at the time. Mm-hmm. So just to have a reliable band to be around and do the things that that needed to do is just kind of impossible so they sort of needed him even though he was not listed as the producer Robbie Robertson would not allow that yes so there's just a lot of like Robbie Robertson just being over controlling with everything that's going on
1: Robbie robertson taking control I think um it's also Robbie Robbie's fault but it's also everybody else in the band like certainly they were just giving it up very easily and this um, slowly sliding into drugs and being um, is not taking care of business themselves, mm. which allowed Robbie just to take care of business for everybody
0: I mean, one thing that I did notice is you know when there's the argument that that Robbie stole all the rights to everybody's songs, there are a number of songs in the first two records that are co-written by people. I mean nothing is nothing is written by one person other than Robbie. Mm-hmm. Which is why I'm so surprised about the Richard Manuel tune, because I had just assumed that, you know, nobody could write a song, but clearly they could. Mm-hmm. Um, but later on, after Stage Fright, I was looking at Northern Light Southern Cross. It says written by Robbie Robertson. Yeah. So it just seemed everybody else checked out and they said, well, fine. And maybe that was like a protest by the other members of the band. Maybe they were so On drugs that they couldn't contribute anymore because obviously they weren't living in the same house anymore at that point. Yeah. So
1: Yeah. Um yeah. Robbie in his documentary claimed that he tried to get uh Richard Manuel to write songs and Richard just was to so in the drugs that he didn't. And Levon wasn't much of a songwriter at all. Even on his solo albums. Hmm. He didn't write any write any of the songs. Um on his uh solo album Dirt Farmer and also Electric Dirt, out of those two albums. He only wrote one song and he co wrote it with uh, Larry Campbell. Ah, and you and told
0: that, me like they, there was like some video of the songwriting process where Larry's writing the song. And-
1: well, there, um, there's a documentary, a Levon Helm documentary that uh, came out maybe eight years ago or so. Um, uh, I think it was directed or shot by um, Amy Helms' husband. And um, Levon, there was a bunch of Hank Williams songs that were partially written. And they asked various artists to finish the songs and write them, sort of like the Wilco Billy Bragg um, Woody Guthrie thing. Okay. Um, so in the movie, there's a process of uh, Larry Campbell and Levon Helm trying to write the song or finish the song. And it's pretty much just Larry Campbell that's trying to finish the lyrics on the couch. And Levon's just wandering in and out of the room, yeah. not really participating. And he would make a comment and just
0: walk right back out. Sure. Yeah. Now, we were hanging out with uh, your lady Kim last night, and she brought up this really funny thing about about pancakes, mm-hmm. about the band. and she just like, you know, when she thinks about the band, she envisions being at a diner, like maybe late at night or something, and there being like that individual jukebox that's on <laughs> that's on your table, and she can just kind of hear the band music coming out of that jukebox while she's enjoying. A plate of pancakes. And
1: I think the, the song that she uh, referenced was uh, Up on Cripple Creek.
0: Oh, yeah. It was the one
1: that she would like to. And um, funny, uh, um, in that new Robert Robinson movie, there's an interview with Bruce Springsteen. And Bruce Springsteen was talking about the first time that he heard um, music from The Big Pink. And he was actually, I'm not sure if it was after a show or not, but he was hanging out in a diner yeah. late at night. And it was right before closing. Yeah. And somebody in the kitchen or in that worked at the restaurant um, right before closing, they just put music from The Big Pink on, and that's the first time that Bruce Springsteen heard that. And he was like, "There's no other setting that you would want yeah. other than a diner being yeah. ready to close late at night, yeah, and hearing music from The Big Pink sort of, for the first time." Yeah, so it sort of ties into the the, the pancakes
0: also for sure. It's a diner food and definitely diner food. Yeah, and I'm sad that we didn't choose choose waffles for food. I'll take a waffle over a pancake any day.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Right. Waffles just have those nice little pockets that hold the nice little buttery, sweet, syrupy bites.
0: Yes. And there's hardly a bad waffle. Hardly. An egg An ego, delicious waffle. It's a good waffle on the go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> waffle House, obviously, great waffle. Cheap, too. Yeah.
1: Good. I love it. Good America food.
0: There's there's yeah, there's just, it's hard to get a bad waffle, but it's pretty easy to get a bad pancake. Yeah. And I'm not sure why that is.
1: The, I think the trick with pancakes is not eating too many. Yes. If you eat too many, then you're not, it's not going to feel good. But
0: I'll... But I'll, uh, the... the I, can, I can keep popping waffles in my mouth like all day long. Just fold up a waffle and put it <laughs> in your pocket and just walk away. <laughs> exactly. I. But, I mean, when I'm making waffles here, I'll, you know, like, is anybody going to eat the rest of this batter? I make another waffle. Mm-hmm. But I get, when it gets to pancakes, there's a moment where it's like... There's no more pancakes.
1: There's there's a cutoff. That, that is and coming also, in. It, it, it's good, I think, sometimes. Because sometimes you can have too many pancakes, and it's good to have a cutoff.
0: Yeah. But it's a bad feeling, too. Mm-hmm. Like, later on, it's just like, oh, my God, I ate too many pancakes.
1: But these uh, these blueberry Johnny cakes you made. Yeah. Two or three of them, perfect. Totally. There's They're perfect light. Mm-hmm. It's
0: fluffy. Um I think the cornmeal adds a little, you know, a little more lightness to it. So yeah, they're not. We're going to be able to live about our day today and and think fondly of the pancakes, other than it being a mistake. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. From there, we have to choose another band for next week. We talked about uh, Bruce Springsteen, oh, didn't we? Yeah. Do I need Bruce Springsteen? Do I know? any Bruce Springsteen. Didn't you did you
1: read his biography? Yes, it's very good.
0: Yeah, so you know a lot about Bruce Springsteen. Yes, more than I do, probably. Do you want to, do you want to do another podcast with me? Sure. All right, we're gonna have Nate back next time to talk about Bruce Springsteen and figure out what food Bruce Springsteen is. Everyone, all right, tune in. Thanks for thanks for listening, y'all. Adios. Adios. Ciao. Thank you, Nate Hall, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in to This Band Could Be Your Food. I've been your host, Nathan Palin. I'm actually at an undisclosed location at the moment, uh, at a beach, without all of my stuff, which is why it sounds like I'm recording this directly into a computer. That's what I am doing. So forgive me. Now, I know I said that next week we're going to do Bruce Springsteen, but that is a complete and utter lie. Next week is a holiday. And so I'm not putting out a podcast next week. Also, as I said, I'm on a beach. So you're just gonna have to wait. Patience, my friend. And when we get back, there's there's two possibilities. I mean, first off, we just we just found out that Charlie Watts died, and that's huge. My man Nate Hall's a big Stones fan. I mean, there's a lot of big stones fans, so it seems only appropriate that we talk about them and about the legacy of the Rolling Stones and the food that they could be. But uh we also might do pavement. I recorded an episode all about what food Pavement could be, which I'm really ex- excited to put out because I actually got input from one of the members of Pavement on what food that they thought Pavement was. And uh, yeah, he hit the nail on the head. He was completely correct. So it's going to be a toss-up. Until then, enjoy your vacation. Get ready for football season again. And get ready for the fall lineup of This Band Could Be Your Food episodes. I'm excited to see what they're going to be. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And thank you so much for your listenership. Signing off, I'm your captain, Nathan Palin, for This Band Could Be Your Food. Cook on and rock out. Ciao, ciao.